The following is a presentation of Real Racing USA. Welcome back to this edition of Real Racing USA Live. And uh, Chris Economaki, of course, uh, the longtime uh, nationally known motorsports writer, said uh, auto changed the way the sport was viewed. He helped make it acceptable. And uh, with us tonight, we have Ed Garato, who just uh, penned a book uh, with, uh, with a co-writer about his uh, famous father. Welcome to Real Racing USA, Ed. Thank you so much for having me and letting my tell, letting me tell my dad's story. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know I read the book. Uh, the folks at Coastal One Eighty One, which is uh, Coastal One Eighty One dot com, which has the book available. Uh, um, we uh, got a copy from them. I read the book and it was absolutely fascinating. Thank you. It took two years to write that book, and of course, ninety three years of my father's life. Hey, Ed, I want to ask you a question, and before we get all the way into uh, uh, how things were for your father and how it all had worked out, a um, few of the stories that came through in, in my neck of the woods, and one that I just had mentioned to uh, Jack here on the air as we were getting ready for you to come on with us, was that uh, my father felt like your dad did an awful lot to help promote and do things with uh, Mr. France, and then it seemed like somewhere along the line uh, Mr. France learned what he needed to learn, and then started to kind of push your dad out of the way and, and, and took things over on his own. Is that a summary of it, or is that not anything to do with what really happened? Um, you know, a story like that is not easily pigeon, pigeonholed. Uh, Bill France said throughout his life, and I quote, I could not have done it without Ed Otto. So he, he fully gave my father credit. Uh, he was younger than my father, uh, number one. Uh, number two, he did have different ideas. Uh, and uh, my dad was still very rough around the edges. I learned a lot from Bill France. I was real lucky to have met him when I was 18. I learned how to write notes to thank people. People, here's a guy that ran a gas station who really learned the social graces, and he got a lot of credit, or should get a lot of credit, for the way that that he promoted NASCAR, auto racing, and himself. Um, And Dad was not quite that suave. And I don't want to take anything away from the Francis whatsoever. Um, They wrote him out of history. Um, They... They kind of played that moonshine thing till it kind of makes me a little ill. Um, Bill Rexford, Bill Rexford from Tonawanda, New York, was NASCAR's second new car or Grand National champion. More races were running north of the Mason-Dixon line. All of this is in the book. But, uh, you know, we tried to set the record straight. As far as Bill France, um, yeah... Um, he, he did, um, push that out, but he gave my father a quarter of a million dollars in 1963 for his share. That was a lot of money then. Dad was able to retire on that money. 
Yeah, that was a lot of money then. No, no doubt about uh-huh. it. So, so no, so your your dad was Ed Otto was a he was actually pretty much a veteran promoter by the time he ran into to to Bill France, right? I mean, he had been doing it all over the country way before then, right? You know, the history of promoters, somebody should really do a book about promoters, just about promoters, because we've been fortunate in America to have a lot of great promoters, Ralph Hankinson, Sam Nunes, and on and on. Dad was one of those really great promoters. France never was the promoter that Dad was. I mean, Dad ran during his career 1,100 separate racing meets. Uh, he promoted 25% of uh, the first year's NASCAR Grand National races. Uh, that was two out of the first eight. We're, we're run north of the base of Dixon Live. Uh, Dad was Mr. North. France was Mr. South. And they made a great combination. And another guy that doesn't get credit, unfortunately, is Bill Tuthill. Bill Tuthill knew my father from dad promoting up in New England. Bill Tuttle was a championship motorcycle rider who, you know, latched on to France and told France, listen, France, you need Otto. You need somebody so that we can grow this thing out of the South. And, and Pat Purcell, who was the executive manager, I point out in the book the fact that Otto and France were out promoting who was running NASCAR? None of these books, I mean, I've lost track of the NASCAR books now, but none of them give credit to the guys who really built NASCAR. The business Bill, in. Bill Tuthill, Pat Purcell, and the PR guy, Don O'Reilly. Yeah, they ran the business end of it. The other two guys did the promoting. What... Um you know, uh, some of the things that stood out in, in my memory from reading the book uh, a, a few months ago was it was fascinating about the, the whole deal with, with meeting President Eisenhower. Tell us about that whole deal. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. What a, what a wonderful story and how sad it's buried, except to read about it in, in this book. Auto racing was about to be banned. A senator from Oregon had introduced a bill in the Senate banning automobile racing because of its danger to spectators and danger to the race drivers. The, the Le Mans crash, the 24 hours, had just happened. Eighty spectators were killed. We had a, it was a bad year for fatalities. For race drivers, it was a bad deal for cars crashing into the old wooden grandstands or the old wooden guardrails, and they wanted to ban it. So Otto said, hell, I can't go up there. I, I don't talk like those guys. Otto, you go and talk to them. So Hilly Rife, the promoter at Lancaster, Oxford Speedway, now living in Daytona, uh, set up the meeting because he had a farm in Gettysburg right next to the Eisenhowers. Dad met with President Eisenhower, told him the story of how the economy in the country would suffer. Eisenhower said to my father, don't worry, that bill will never get signed. 
And that's a real true story about how close auto racing got to be banned in this country. Absolutely fascinating. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, that's amazing because, I mean, those are the kind of stories that, uh, of course, at the time that they're happening, it's just the guys who are passionate about what they're doing that right. uh, really want to <laughs> keep things going. And it doesn't. you don't think at the time, hey, it's not going to be that big a deal, is it? But then later on you find out of what a huge, you know, make or break it that could have been. Uh, just in that, you know, couple of hours that afternoon or whenever you got a chance to talk to him. The same, the same is very true about Otto and the unions. Uh, Dad was running Rupert Stadium in Newark, and the F- AFL, CIO, Teamsters, the same guys that showed up in North Carolina with Curtis Turner, they showed up and struck my dad's NASCAR-sanctioned racetrack. Now, um, he went all the way to the New Jersey Supreme Court, and his contention was that automobile race drivers were independent contractors. They didn't have steady hours. They didn't work for a steady amount of money. The Supreme Court saw his argument and said, race drivers cannot be unionized. And when when they when they tried to unionize him uh, with that whole big story, you know, with Curtis Turner, that was all a phony because Dad had already told uh, France this ain't going to happen. But it was a great opportunity to great to get publicity. You guys forget them promoters, them really sharp promoters, <laughs> can do a lot of strange things to get publicity and still do today. Yeah. Yeah, we work yeah. with them a lot at the local level, so we do we do see some uh, some streaks of genius from time to time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jack and I have talked to several very uh, flamboyant promoters and owners that have done some crazy things, but it really has worked out for them. And it's pretty neat to think that uh, your dad was doing those kind of thought processes way back in what would have been the '40s and '50s. Are any of the guys running ostrich races? That's what Dad promoted. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Uh, that was uh, that was right up there with. Uh, <laughs> you imagine, Bill, and, and the drivers didn't particularly like it in uh, in all cases either, did they, Ed? Wait a minute. The paper guys, the newspaper men, didn't like it either because he got him up on the selfies. One of his deals, he had he had races for the newspaper men. He'd get him in the cars. He'd get him riding the selfies. The only thing he never did with a newspaper man or a radio guy is put him in the coffin and have him blow himself up the way Captain <laughs> Frakes used to do. Yeah. What? Um, hey, hey, go, uh, go, go ahead. There's one thing I want to make sure people understand that when they do listen to this is that, that your dad was, was, was out there long before uh, many people thought of promoting different events. Um, if I remember correctly... It was 1936 when he ran the night race in Miami for motorcycles. That is correct. He built the what is now or was used to be the Orange Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I, and, then, I, and, and he took he took NASCAR style car stock cars into New York City. Everybody's talking about this New York City racing in the Polo Grounds. He ran a race in 1937 in the Polo Grounds, right? Uh, no, no, he ran, he ran motorcycle racing in Yankee Stadium. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, and, and, uh, motorcycle promotion. you want to talk about promoting, he had Jack Dempsey, 
fired the starting pistol, and Lou Gehrig uh, waved the green flag. <laughs> now that's that's pretty cool. That brings a lot of people to the track then, and uh, not to mention yeah. they get to see a lot of excitement. Now another thing that um, that stood out to me, and you hit upon the one another one of those was the was the unions uh, issue, and and. Uh, but your dad was like an innovator in the whole motorsport safety uh, deal. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm proud of that. I'm really, really proud of that. Dad, um, you know, the guardrails were wooden guardrails uh, attached, uh, bolted to wooden posts. And Dad came along and took the uh, the piles that are used to make bridges and, and things like that, the piles that get driven into the ground with the big jackhammers, and he used those as guardrails so no automobile was ever going to get impaled on the guardrail they would just hit it and chrome off and uh, he was the first one uh, to recommend shoulder harnesses in nascar it's in the book it's part of the record i myself got to be appointed president of the auto racing safety council in 1956 that NASCAR backed. You see, NASCAR was the first one to bring insurance to the drivers and owners. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm young enough, and maybe you guys are, to remember when you used to have to pass the crash helmet so people could put nickels, dimes, and dollars in. Well, oh, yeah. uh, that was a bad deal. I mean, that was a really, really a bad deal. So... Uh, Bill Tuthill uh, hooked up with my dad. They went up to Rhode Island, saw a guy by the name of John Norton, and they got the first insurance for drivers. And it was a really big deal. And uh, then they made the promoters uh, clean up their tracks and make their tracks safe so they could get good spectator insurance. When is the last time you guys heard of a car going into the grandstands at a NASCAR-sanctioned track. Yeah. It's it's history, right? Sure. Yeah, be, they won't happen anymore. They keep putting limits on them to make sure they don't. Yeah. Um, the other thing that NASCAR did, because they had this insurance, uh, they're like the FAA. I mean, the, the similarity to me every time there's a crash amazes me. Uh, they weren't able to be proactive. The FAA is not able to be proactive. But they are good at investigating crashes. NASCAR throughout its entire history has been good at investigating crashes, figuring out why the guy got hurt, why he got killed, and mandating the changes. As far as I am concerned, NASCAR is really responsible for making auto racing safe. Dad is the first one that made the roll bars behind the open cockpit cars uh, in in New Jersey. He got the state of New Jersey, who to this day uh, supervises and mandates the safety of auto racing. He got them to mandate the first uh, roll bars behind the driver's heads. Oh, yeah, because I can remember my dad going to Daytona Beach for one of those last few races on the beach, and he was wearing slip-on white tennis shoes, jeans, a white T-shirt, and my sisters riding helmet for horses yeah i mean it was just uh, amazing that they had no common sense so to speak to think this could hurt i'll tell you in, the, in this in this book bill uh 
NASCAR's silent uh, partner, the, the, the true story of, uh, of uh, Ed Otto, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, Edgar discusses and goes into is the, the, the whole deal about the promoters. Uh, everybody you talk to who's been around racing a long time will tell you, yeah, way back in the old days, the, uh, the promoters were always stealing the money and running off without paying the drivers. And that was why Bill France came in, and he was able to fix that problem. But I think there was a little more to that, huh, Ed? There's a lot more to that. I wonder how many people today realize the vast sea change that NASCAR brought about. See, it used to be that the local racing organizations of drivers and owners came in and said to the promoter, you will pay us 40% of the gross gate. Well, when France and Otto got together, they had plans for investing more of the money than 40% of the gross gate would allow them. So they dreamed up this story. The crooked promoters running off with the money. The crooked promoters! It wasn't that way at all. It was a cover story so that they could pay a flat purse and gradually ratchet the purse down to today at a uh, at a sprint cup race probably the the prize money is being paid to the drivers is in the neighborhood of 10 or 15%. If it were 40% at Daytona Beach the drivers would be running for $80 million in prize money, at <laughs> least. So it was, a, it was a good con that worked because they were willing, you have to give France an auto credit, in the early years they put their money up so they could pay that $4,000 purse, $1,000 to win, when nobody was running for that kind of money. And all the drivers said, well, gee, Hey, this flat guaranteed purse is pretty good. Look at this. We're running for $4,000. A lot of time, France and Otto dug into their own pocket. They took a long-term view. I mean, how do we think that France has got to be the billionaires they, uh, they are today? Well, Ed, I'll tell you, you, you have to be proud now that you, I mean, how, how did you come about to write the book? Well, you just got to be proud that you actually got it done. I had wanted to write this book for a long, long time, um, and uh, I finally found the right gal uh, who never had written an automobile racing book, so there was no nothing tainted, no preconceived ideas. Um, I found myself a girl who had never written a line about auto racing. But I think she did a terrific job at helping me. I think so too. I want to know what I have one one question about the book itself. How did you ever get those uh, racy lines past your uh, editors? <laughs> There's some pretty racy lines in here. Quotes from people uh, from uh, from the racing world. Well, we had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we, we had a lot of fun. You know, the problem is, of course, um, there is so much to tell in that. Uh, 208 pages uh we spent the money for the good paper nascar helped us out with great pictures i discovered things about my father i discovered pictures about my father i never knew it existed jimmy france was just wonderful um 
uh, when we had the book party, uh, Jimmy France came. Um, you know, we had a great turnout of people who remembered my dad. I have a question for your listeners. Who promoted the longest NASCAR-sanctioned race, and how long was the longest-sanctioned NASCAR race ever promoted? The answer, Ed Otto, of course. But how many miles? 870 miles. I was going to say, was it, run, was it the one that was 1,000 laps somewhere? It was uh, the 12-hour race of Linden in Linden, New Jersey, and it was won by uh, NASCAR's short track champion. Of course, nobody knows that NASCAR had a short track division or a midget division or a big car division or anything like that. But Jimmy Reed from Poughkeepsie, New York, won it in a Jaguar. So, again, written out of history, Herschel McGriff. Do you guys know who Herschel McGriff was? No. Herschel McGriff was the Mexican road race winner. That's right. At the time when men were men. And uh, uh, he was a really, really hot shoe. He drove a Jaguar at Westport Stadium in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, and beat all the Hudson Hornets and everything else. Um, <clears throat> a little head of a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> a little earlier than the Toyota, absolutely. Amazing stuff. Ed, I know that... Uh, it, uh, we want to we want to make sure your marriage stays intact because your wife is patiently waiting for you, and Bill and I and uh, all the race fans. I tell you, we really really appreciate uh, uh, you spending the time with us, Ed. I've certainly enjoyed telling the stories. Uh, anybody that considers himself a racing fan uh, needs to go to the website. You mentioned it earlier. If you mentioned again, oh, we will certainly. And, and as a matter of fact, Ed, we will have uh, links to uh, Coastal One Eighty One to directly to uh, your book, where people can come to Real Racing USA, go directly there and purchase the book. And I highly recommend it. Um, well, before you, before you get away, Ed, I got to ask you one more question. I've been dying to ask, and I couldn't sneak it in anywhere. And that was the original meeting that everybody talks about in Daytona Beach at the little hotel. Yes. Um, <laughs> how much? How much really uh, were the ground rules laid there, or did France and Ed go in there knowing what they wanted? They just had to convince everybody. Um, how did that all go down? About that you, you'll just have to read the book, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Dad was not there. It was only after the meeting that Bill Tuthill said, hey, you missed the most important guy. You missed the guy that put uh, later on, when he got Bob Barkheimer, who had 10 racetracks in California, it was Dad that put the National in National Association of Stock Car Racing because he got Barkheimer to sign up. Remember the silent partner story, and I do have to tell you this. The silent partner was a, another great, great promotion by Otto and France. France said, look, Otto, I'm going to start off by giving you 20% of NASCAR and you're not going to put up a dime because I think you're so valuable. But in return, you can't tell people that you have a part of NASCAR, that you're a partner. I want you to go out and convince all the other promoters that NASCAR is such a great deal that you joined, and they should do the same thing. 
So these were a couple of pretty slick guys back then. Um, the dad was not at the at the Daytona meeting, but the Daytona meeting was another slick deal. I mean, it really had very little to do with NASCAR because if you look at the guys that were there, where do they show up in NASCAR's history? They don't. Only that meeting. <laughs> yeah, only at that meeting. So I wish somebody would write a book about the Francis. Great people. Um, you know, I I have been around auto racing. I'm 78 years old now, and I've been around auto racing, uh, I guess, starting in 1945. And I was there, you know, at the very beginning. I sat in the North Grandstand. You know, I've seen 24 guys killed, and NASCAR has done a great job. I, I, I just recommend the book because you're going to learn about a lot about the sport and probably some of the guys that should be in the history books. I only hope that as a result of this book, some people start telling the true story about NASCAR, that more races were run north of the Mason-Dixon line, sanctioned by NASCAR, than were ever run south of the Mason-Dixon line. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, we look forward to it. Uh, hopefully there'll be a chance that you'll get down uh, this way sometime, down in Florida. He is well, in Florida. I, believe it or not, <laughs> I live in Florida. Believe it or not, I drive a NASCAR stock car. I have the 43 Petty car, the 06 road race car, and I race over at Sebring. Oh, cool. I'll get to, I'll get to meet you then. I'm just looking to track you down again, because I know I did see you once, but uh, we just had a brief, uh, hi, how you doing, and you had to get off and do something else. I would be happy to have the opportunity again. Cool. And thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you very much, Edgar. We'll see if we can sell some of these books and get the word around, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank we'll you. Put it up. We'll put it up, see if we can get a 1,000 hits or better in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> All right. What do you think, Bill? Oh, that was cool. That was really awesome. I mean, it's not that I know a whole lot of that history, but I do remember some of the stories that used to come through. And and, 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 and I do, I almost, I'm, I'm positive to this day, and I didn't want anything in front of him, but when his father died and they had that news item on the TV, uh, my mom looked at that and knew who he was. Yeah. At him. yeah. And she said to me, she said he was one of the best-looking men in NASCAR. <laughs> yeah. He was a big, tall guy. Always had it. Oh, big, tall guy, always had a cigar going. Yeah. So and, she, and, uh, yeah, my face, by the yeah. way, didn't talk to me about him. But, uh, no, just an awesome, awesome story. I've heard a lot of little things about it, but uh, this is awesome. they got this book out now that can really tell it like it was and uh, enlighten an awful lot of people who may not uh, understand what's going on. Yeah, it was fascinating. The, uh, just the a, Yeah, just a lot, a lot of stories uh, that were in there that, of course, we could only touch on a few of them uh, uh, in, in the short time that we had with that. As a matter of fact, uh, we really thank uh, Edgar Otto for that because uh he was out to dinner with his wife and and some other folks and and uh left the restaurant to uh to uh we're getting some feedback from bill's uh, other telephone line he's got going there but uh he left uh, the restaurant briefly to, to do that interview and and did about twice as long as uh, we had expected so we really yeah. appreciate that yeah that's really cool hey, i'm sure he's excited about the book Co- about the story and uh, looking the, forward the, to the word out the book is available at coastal 181.com, along with just a ton of other uh, motorsports uh, publications. Um, 
the the folks at, at Coastal One Eighty One uh, have have a, a just that's their whole deal. It's all about uh, racing publications, motorsports publications. Lou Boyd uh, and his wife uh, operate that 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 uh, deal, and of course Lou is well known in the in the, the north. And uh, we met Lou and uh, his wife and, and a lot of other great people at the. Um, the modified reunion that was held at New Smyrna Speedway in uh, February of this year, Bill. All those, yeah, all those old, ti- yeah, all those old timers came down, but it was yeah. pretty fascinating. I wish I could have got to that one. I'm sure I would have enjoyed it and seen a bunch of folks that I hadn't seen in an awful long time. But uh, yeah, now what, as we go along, and uh, what we've, we've, this is the first of many. What we're going to do from uh, time to time here is we're going to, we're going to interview. Uh, uh, people about whom which books have been written that are on Coastal 181 uh, for sale and available to the public, and uh, or, or in some cases the writers of the books. But uh, we're going to feature some of those from time to time because there's just a tremendous amount of information out there. And uh, may I get you away from the message boards and uh, all that stuff, the fictitious part of life for a while, and uh, go back in the in the in the history for a little bit. That's yeah, pretty cool. There's a lot of people that have written some really good. Uh books about racing and auto racing just in their area or maybe their portion of uh, auto racing whether it be a division class or a traveling series so and there's a lot of history out there too that way too a lot of folks don't realize you just google you know nascar history or google stock car racing history and you'll get an awful lot of returns on things that are out there to read all across the country and across around the world actually yeah 